invite you to keep those Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> and before we jump in this morning, wanted to let you know about an opportunity that is coming up to serve the Lord and to serve uh, our community and to serve our church family. On Saturday, June 26th, we're hosting a serve day that's going to be taking place in three different locations with several different opportunities to just kind of show the love of Christ in, in helping out in tangible ways. Uh, there's info about that in your program this morning. Uh, there's also more information on the events page on our website. But serving, uh, serving together is one of the ways that we show the love of Christ. It's one of the ways that we honor God with the gifts and resources he's given us. And when we do it shoulder to shoulder, it's one of the ways that we actually get to know one another and grow as a family in Christ. So I encourage you to kind of mark your calendars for that uh, for June 26. As we uh, fix our attention on Ephesians now, uh, this morning we're continuing our series on God's vision for the local church, what it, what it means, what he calls us to as a family in Christ. And today our focus is really part two of the topic, the subject that we considered last week, the question, how does the church grow? So last week, Pastor Robin walked us through 2 Timothy 2 to show us how the church grows outward, how we reach others, what, what we called spiritual multiplication, uh, taking what, what we have learned from the Lord and imparting that to someone who then imparts that to someone and so on. Well, this morning, today, what I want to consider is the goal of that multiplication process. What are we actually aiming for as we reproduce the faith? Specifically, how the church grows up. How the church grows up. We want to look at the fruit of spiritual multiplication, which is spiritual maturity, growing up in Christ. I imagine thinking that... Uh, the goal of the task of, of raising children was completed once you had a delivery at the hospital. Like, my work here is done. Like, nobody thinks that, right? I mean, the, the baby can't feed itself. They can't change themselves. They can't walk out of the hospital. Uh, but nor is that task complete once those milestones are achieved. You know, it's, it's a good thing to learn how to get the food into the mouth without making a mess and to you know, make it to the bathroom on time and, and walk and all of that. But, but that does not complete the task either, right? It takes time and intentionality to, for children to grow up well into adulthood. And the same is true for spiritual children in Christ. It takes time and intentionality. The Great Commission was never just about reaching more people for Christ, but also about seeing those people grow up in Christ or grow deep in their faith. Or as Paul puts it in Ephesians 4, to reach mature manhood, <clears throat> excuse me, mature manhood, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And, and that is Paul's aim in all of his letters, in all of his ministry, he's always aiming for the maturity of the church. It's what he strove for with the Galatians, for whom he was again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. It was his 
principal aim among the Colossians. He says in Colossians 1.28, Christ we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. It's what broke his heart about the church in Corinth as he laments in chapter 3, verse 1. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, immature, childish. So the goal of following Jesus is not simply getting out of hell, though that's a great thing, right? Nor is it just improving your life. Suffering also often comes. The goal of following Jesus is to grow up in Christ. And, and that's important to understand wherever we're at with respect to Jesus, wherever we're at, if we're just kind of exploring Christianity and trying to figure out who this Jesus is and, and what his church actually is like and, and, and should be like, uh, and it's important if we've been walking in with Christ for decades and, and treasuring him, what does he actually call us to how am I doing? How are we doing? And what steps do we take to keep moving there? It's a good question for us to ask. And so as we think together about how the church grows, I want to consider three questions from our passage. What is spiritual maturity? How do you measure spiritual maturity? And how do we nurture it? How do we nurture spiritual maturity? And we'll, we'll start with the first question, what is it? What are we even talking about? Simply put, spiritual maturity means becoming more and more like Jesus. More and more like Jesus. In our hearts, in our attitudes, in our actions, in our words, He is both the standard and the goal of growing in Christ. Just as a parent might raise their child to become like them someday, whether that's passing on certain traditions or values or sometimes even an occupation. So Paul puts it in Ephesians 4.15, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Spiritual maturity means becoming more and more like Jesus. And, and you see the same thing in the Gospels. In the Gospels, the goal of discipleship is to become like the master, to become like the teacher. Jesus says in Matthew 10, 25, it is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. And so Paul says something very similar, Ephesians 4, 13 to 14, that the, the very reason God has graced his, his church with gifts and leaders is to build up the body, the church, until we all attain the unity and uh, to the unity and of, of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine by human cunning and crafty craftiness and deceitful schemes God calls us to grow up. And the standard for our maturity, our, our spiritual adulthood, is Jesus himself. I mean, not only is it dangerous to remain 
immature in Christ, to remain as spiritual children, and you, being tossed to and fro, easily distracted, easily deceived, when we kind of stay there, like we all start there, we all start as spiritual infants, but if we, if we stay there and never really want to grow, not only is it dangerous, we actually work against the very goal of our salvation, the very purpose of the church, the glory of God. That's what's at stake in growing up in Jesus, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And when Paul uses that language of fullness in Ephesians, he's, it's, it's language of God's glory, specifically of God's glory filling the temple. So if you remember in the Old Testament, God took up residence among his people through first, you know, the tabernacle and then the temple. And when he, when he took up residence with his people, he then filled that tabernacle, that tabernacle or that temple with his glory. It was a, a display of his worthiness and his majesty among the people. Well, in the New Testament, the church becomes the temple, not not the building, right? The congregation, the people, the gathered people. In Ephesians 1.22, we're told that, that God put all things under Christ's feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness, the fullness of him who fills all in all. He says something similar in chapter 2, verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The church is the dwelling place of God. Well, what does God do with his dwelling place? He fills it with his glory. When the tabernacle was completed in Exodus 40, God fills it with his glory. When the temple was completed in 1 Kings 8, God fills it with his glory. And so Paul prays in chapter 3 that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, the glory of God. And so if, if the temple is now the body of Christ, then if that's the church, then, then growing up in Christ to that measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that's ultimately about God receiving the glory that he deserves, about us reflecting that glory back to God or radiating his beauty and majesty to one another or revealing it to the world around us and even to the very heavens themselves. You know, Paul says in, in chapter 3, verse 10, that it's through the church that the manifold wisdom of God is made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Think of that. So when the world around us and when heaven above us looks at the church, they ought to see an accurate picture of Jesus. That's the goal. That's the call. Spiritual maturity in Christ becoming more and more like him in our heart 
in our lives, in our character, in our pattern of of following his pattern of self-giving love, denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following him. And that's something God calls us to do with every part of our life, with every part of our life. If you look again at verse 15, he says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. So spiritual maturity, it's not just a Sunday thing. Like when, I, when we come here, all right, time to act like Jesus, right? It, it, it's not just a, a when it's convenient thing or when other people are watching thing. It's an all of life thing. My work, my words, my relationships, my priorities, my thoughts, my dreams, my desires. Uh, There's a story I once read, and I'm not sure if it's apocryphal or if it's uh, historical, but I read about it once. And uh, it's about a strange baptism practice that was allowed by the church when the Knights of Templar would be baptized. So when the church would baptize one of the knights, they would be baptized with their sword but they wouldn't take their sword under the water with them. Instead, they would hold their swords up out of the water while the rest of them was, was immersed. Uh, Kyle Eidelman explains that it was the knight's way of saying to Jesus, you can have control of me, but you can't have this. Jesus, I am all yours, but who I am and what I do on the battlefield, how I use that sword... That's not part of the deal. You know, think about it. If that was still the practice today, and we probably wouldn't hold up a sword out of the water, but what would we hold up? Maybe a wallet, a remote control, a laptop. Many people say to Jesus, I will follow you. Anything and everything I have, I give to you. And then Jesus points and says, what's that hiding behind your back? What's, what's sticking up out of the water? Growing up in Jesus means resisting the temptation to compartmentalize our lives, where we kind of section it off. This part here, Jesus, you get that. This part here, that's for me. This part for someone else. We're to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Spiritual maturity means becoming more and more like Jesus in all of life. So how do you measure something like that? Like what what kind of evidence or fruit? How do I know how I'm doing? How do we know as a congregation how we're doing in growing up in Jesus, in, in, in reflecting his image? Well, that's the second question I want to consider. How do we measure spiritual maturity. How do we measure spiritual maturity? Uh, First of all, and this is important, we are not looking for perfection. We're not looking for perfection. Spiritual maturity does not mean that you have arrived. Every Christian continues to sin in some way until the Lord returns or we go to be with him. So we're not talking about perfection, nor are we talking about a performance 
like putting on a show for God, trying to kind of do the right things to, to either impress him or, or others so, and, and win their approval. Rather, what we're looking for is progress. That's what we're looking for, progress. Am I more like Jesus over time? Like, is there, is there a trajectory? Am I growing? It's one thing for a healthy two-year-old to fill their pants every now and then. It's kind of a normal thing, right? It's a different thing for a healthy 16-year-old to do that. Like, you're kind of looking for some progress, right? So, so it is in, in growing with Christ. We're looking for progress, and that progress is what comes from the heart, it's what comes from the heart. There's a huge temptation in trying to kind of measure our maturity or our faith. Uh, there's a huge temptation to focus on the externals, on what we do, our behaviors and our actions. Reading our Bible, going to church, giving, serving, reading a, a certain book or going through a certain program or attending a certain event. And those can all be good things. But are they really marks of maturity? You know, if you are a growing Christian, will you not prioritize regularly gathering with the people of God? Absolutely. But you can attend church every Sunday of your life and not be growing in Christ. Right? You can be serving, ministering, preaching the word leading others, doing all the right stuff, and not be growing in Christ. And, and so not only does focusing on those externals, those behaviors, not only does that end up creating a, a culture of performance and legalism, where we, we, we've got the list and the rules, and we just keep those, and we're fine, and if you're not keeping them, you know, not only does it create that kind of judgmentalism and, and legalism, it doesn't actually tell you anything about spiritual health. It, it doesn't tell you anything. Healthy people and unhealthy people can do the same activities. Paul Tripp tells a, a great story. Uh, he writes that, you know, let's say that I have an apple tree in my backyard, and each year its apples are, are dry and wrinkled, and brown, and pulpy. And after several seasons, his wife says to him, it doesn't make any sense to have this huge tree and never be able to eat any apples. Can't you do something? And so one day, his wife looks out the window to see him in the yard, carrying uh, branch cutters, an industrial-grade staple gun, a ladder, and two bushels of apples. He climbs the ladder cuts off all the pulpy apples, and staples the shiny red ones to every branch on the tree. Now, from a distance, that tree looks beautiful, like it's full of a harvest. But if you were his wife, what would you be thinking about him in that moment? We, we tend to focus on the externals, right? When, but when we do that, when we focus only on the behaviors, we are simply stapling apples to a sick tree. It might look good for a moment, but they're not real, and eventually they're going to rot because they're not connected to the life-giving system of the tree. 
real spiritual maturity, real progress in the faith is measured by what comes out of the heart. Think of John 15, the vine and the branches. A heart that is redeemed and being continually transformed by the gospel of Christ. Jesus himself says in Luke 6, 45, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. And and so what kind of fruit do you look for then? If it's not the externals and the behaviors that, that don't necessarily tell us anything, what marks or metrics are actually helpful in measuring how we're doing? Or how, how are we growing? Are we really growing up in Jesus? Jonathan Edwards is a, a Puritan author and preacher, and he explored this question in, uh, in a work called Distinguishing Marks of a Work of the Spirit of God. And Jared Wilson took Edwards' list and summarized it really well. Uh, in, a, in a book called Gospel Driven Church, where he lays out what he calls the five metrics of grace. Five metrics of grace. Marks of genuine spiritual maturity that comes from the heart. So, number one, a growing esteem for Christ. A growing esteem for Christ. Is Jesus increasingly sweet to me? Is my heart growing in affection? For him, Do I treasure him more and long for him more and look to him more today than before? Am I increasingly concerned with his honor and glory and increasingly content in his love? Is Jesus a, a bit player in the story of my life or in the story of our church? Is he kind of the, uh, you know, the the add-on or the inspirational cameo? Or is he increasingly center stage? The whole thing about him. Are we eager to count everything lost compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord? Do I have growing esteem for Jesus? Number two, a discernible spirit of repentance a discernible spirit of repentance, is sin increasingly revolting to us? As Jesus becomes sweeter and sweeter, does that therefore then turn, make me more, more and more sour towards sin? That it leaves an, an increasing distaste. Do we respond to the Holy Spirit's conviction? Or do we deflect or... or, or you know, with indifference or excuses. Are we increasingly eager to own our wrongs? Do we dodge? To turn away from our sin? Is there an air of humility about us? Or is there an air of swagger? Do we feel our need of Christ more and therefore focus on the log in our own eye rather than the speck in our brother's eye? a discernible spirit of repentance. Number three, a dogged devotion to the Word of God. Is our life and our church marked by love for God's Word? 
do we hold up do we hold the bible in high esteem do we hunger for it the way we hunger for breakfast when we wake up do i find myself spending time in it not just because i should but because i actually want to and i want that more and more do we submit ourselves to it even when we don't like what it says do we listen carefully to the scriptures or do we use the bible the way that a, a drunk uses a lamppost more for support than illumination instead of standing under the light of the word we lean on it for our own agenda a growing christian shows a growing devotion to the word of god as jesus reminds us man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of the lord Number four, an interest in theology and doctrine. Do I want to know more about God and his ways? I mean, theology and doctrine, for some of us, that's where the eyes start to glaze over, right? We just kind of think that's, that's dry and boring, and, and, and we know that by itself, knowledge puffs up, right, and, and, and can lead to arrogance and elitism, and so you can't remove this mark from the other ones, but if God calls us to love the Lord our God with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind, then growing Christians will have a desire, a growing curiosity to learn more and more about God and his ways. I mean, after all, theology simply means this, the knowledge or the study of God. And last I checked, God is neither dry nor boring right? Great are, your, are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Psalm 111. Number five, an evident love, <clears throat> excuse me, an evident love for God and neighbor. An evident love for God and neighbor. Are we growing in our affection for God and in our affection for others? Do, do our priorities and our passions kind of still revolve around me, like my, my goals, my good, my survival, whether personally or as a church? Or do we find ourselves increasingly concerned about others, burdened in prayer and moved to action? Wilson writes that, True fruitfulness is evidenced chiefly in obedience to the commands of God, the greatest of which is loving God and loving our neighbors as ourselves. So if we're growing in Jesus, that will show itself in a growing affection for God and others. And Wilson calls these the, the five metrics of grace. He uses that title intentionally because the only way to make progress in these five virtues is by the gospel of God's grace. You cannot staple these things to the tree, right? They have to come from the root, from the heart. As, as Wilson explains, Measuring this way requires going deeper than fleshly measurements to a place that only grace can take us. You can't get there by your own flesh with these marks. 
Getting healthy in these ways requires being empowered, uh, empowered the way that only grace empowers us. And applying these marks requires a courageous self-evaluation through which only grace can secure us. Because the minute we start measuring that, we, fall, we find out how far short we still fall. And we need the grace of God right there in the midst of it. It is not what we do for God. Grace is what God has done for us in Christ through his life, death, and resurrection in the power of the Spirit. That is the power for spiritual growth. And so that brings us then to the third question. If these are some of the marks or the measures, the, the, the signs that we're growing up in Jesus, how do we actually nurture them? How do we cultivate that kind of spiritual progress? Well, look again at Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. We see two critical components of that kind of nurturing in these verses. And the first is that nurturing spiritual maturity in the church means speaking the truth in love to one another. It means speaking the truth in love to one another. In contrast to that chaos of immaturity that we see in, in, in verse 14 where the children are being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, by cunning and deceitful schemes, Paul tells us rather than that, speaking the truth in love Grow. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. That is one of the means, one of the key means of grace. God has given the church to grow, speaking the truth in love. And another way to put that is preaching the gospel of Jesus to each other and to ourselves. Now, that's not the only thing that we do, right? I mean, we, we pray, we worship, we, we read the scriptures. God has given us many means of grace to help us grow, but all of them have one thing at the center, and that is the truth of the gospel, the truth of the gospel of Christ. And that's ultimately what Paul is talking about here, not just speaking true things to each other, but the truth, the very truth he's been preaching throughout the entire book to the, to the Ephesians so far, and applying to their lives the good news that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons to himself through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. In him we have obtained an inheritance we have an inheritance in Christ, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, 
when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The truth we need to grow up in Jesus is the truth of the gospel of Jesus. In fact, the only other time Paul uses the word here, speaking the truth, he uses it explicitly in the context of speaking the truth of the gospel in the book of Galatians. That's the truth he calls us to speak to one another in love because it's only the gospel of Jesus that has the power to grow us up in Christ. A list of rules never changed anybody's life right? I mean, think about that with your kids. You give them the rules, they might keep them. Their, <laughs> their hearts haven't been changed. A list of rules never changed anybody. Now, we need rules, right? God's law is good, but it was never meant to transform us. It was meant to instruct us in, in what he calls us to. It was meant to expose the fact that we can't keep that call, but it's the grace of the gospel that changes our hearts as God applies the work of Christ by the Spirit to our lives, to our hearts. It's interesting if you kind of follow the way Paul uses the word grace in the book of Ephesians. And you trace that along, the same grace that saves us in chapters 1 and 2 also strengthens and sanctifies us in chapters 3, 4, and 5. It's all of God's grace. Sometimes we think that the gospel is just how you, how you begin with Christ. And Paul says, no, it's the stepping stone every part of the way. The whole of life. And so if you want to grow spiritually, do for one another what I've been doing for you throughout this letter. Speak the truth of the gospel. Speak the truth of God's holiness and grace accomplished through Christ. Bring it to bear on every aspect of life, on, on your marriages, on your, on your relationships, on your children, on your work, on your words, on your character, to grow up in every way into Christ. Speak the truth, not impatiently, nor judgmentally, not with an air of swagger or superiority, Speak it patiently, gently. Speak the truth in love, a love that is for the other, a love that comes from the grace of Christ. And so what does that look like for us to actually practice that, to kind of speak the truth of the gospel into each other's lives and even into our own hearts? The first thing, is that to remember once again, to constantly remind ourselves that we're not just trying to fix behavior. We're not just trying to fix behavior or nail apples to a tree. We're trying to see Jesus and to show Jesus. Our, again, our default's always going to be to aim toward that external, toward that behavior. It's easier to measure, and it looks pretty good from the street. I mean, again, you, th you think of raising kids. Um, you know, when my kids are fighting or getting on each other's nerves, if I'm honest, there's one thing I want in that moment, and that's for them to stop. 
right? That's the win. That's what I'm aiming for. You know, I don't want to hear that talk anymore. I want their behavior to change. And so I address their behavior. I walk into the room. I raise my voice. What's going on in here? I lay down the law. And if they stop misbehaving, I'm happy. Like, behavior achieved. This is what I wanted. I've done my job in minutes, and I can go back to what I was doing beforehand. And the kids look pretty good from the street. But what about their hearts? What about their hearts? What was going on in their hearts to cause them to treat their sibling the way that they did? I didn't ask that question. What are they not believing about who God is or who they are in him or who their sibling is? What idols are driving them to love a toy or a TV more than they love their brother or sister? I didn't ask any of those questions. I didn't sit down and listen and and remind them of the truth of the gospel. I didn't lead them into Christ's presence through prayer. I aimed at their behavior while neglecting their heart. And, And what about my heart in that moment, right? What's going on in my heart that I would prioritize getting done whatever it was I was trying to get done over the sanctification of my children? We can't just aim for the externals. We have to aim for the heart. And we aim for the heart with the gospel of Jesus. I mean, so much of growing up in Christ is simply learning to believe what we believe. Like very often, it's not a lack of knowledge that causes us to walk in sin. Sometimes we just didn't know, you know. But a lot of the times, we know. We know the truth. We know what what Christ says. We know who he is, but we're not really believing what we believe. And so speaking the truth in love is helping one another believe what we actually believe. It's it's listening with gentleness and, and patience and love and applying the grace of Christ to whatever sin, whatever sorrow, whatever suffering or situation we find ourselves in, And so here are three questions to ask yourself or or someone else as you seek to apply the grace of the gospel to life. First, what am I not believing about God right now? What am I not believing about God right now? I mean, whatever, whatever anxiety, whatever fear, whatever sin, whatever frustration, whatever question, Is there anything I'm not believing about God in this situation in my heart? Number two, what has Christ done to address this situation? Again, my worry, my shame, my sin, my my guilt, my suffering, my pain, my desire, my longing. How has Jesus in his life, death, resurrection, and heavenly reign already addressed that situation. And then number three, what would it look like to take God at his word in this situation? What would it look like to take God at his word? If I believed that the gospel was true, 
that Jesus is who he says he is and has accomplished what he says he's accomplished, how, how, how does that affect the way I handle this marriage conflict or this parenting challenge or this work scenario that I don't know how to navigate? How, if, if this is true, if Jesus is who he says he is and if the Spirit is, is present with us, how does that empower me to live differently in this situation than I otherwise would have? to apply his power, follow his pattern. These are the kinds of conversations that growing Christians and growing churches regularly have if we're going to grow up in Christ, to nourish our faith and nurture our maturity. And so who are you having them with? Like, who are you talking about these kinds of things with as you try to bring the good news of Christ to bear on the whole of life? To help, who are you helping believe what we believe and who's helping you do that? And that brings us to the second aspect and the last point here. That nurturing spiritual maturity, according to verses 15 and 16, requires that everyone do their part. It requires that everyone do their part. If you look at those verses one more time. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up. In love. Growing up in Jesus is not an individual project. It's not just on me or on you. In fact, this is something Pastor Josh is going to talk more about at our family camp retreat this summer. And, you know, to look even closer, the main point of, of what Paul is after in verses 7 to 16 in, in, in the broader context of our passage is this very idea that everyone has a role to play in the church growing spiritually. The very reason God gives uh, gifts and leaders to his church is, is to equip the saints, that's everyone, for the building up of the body of Christ. And so if we want to grow spiritually, if we want to see this church grow spiritually, then we all have to take ownership in the process. We have to own the role God calls each one of us to play. We have to own our need for spiritual growth and our role in helping others grow. Because wherever you're at with Jesus, you still have a long ways to go, right? None of us have arrived. We've all got a long ways to go. But wherever you're at with Jesus, you have something to offer others. Pastor Robin talked about that last week. And so whatever grace God has given you, he has done so not just for your own good, but to invest in others, to do our part in speaking the truth in love, in serving one another in love, in pointing others to Christ and gazing at him ourselves so that by his grace together, 
we might all attain to the unity and the knowledge of the Son of God, to the mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That is his vision for us. That is the call. That is our prayer. And let's ask Christ to do it among us. Let's pray. Gracious Father, Lord, we praise you that you have not called us to something and then left us as orphans to figure it out. What you call us to, you provide for. You have given us your grace and mercy through Christ. You have given us your spirit. You have given us one another that we might come together to, to share your gifts of grace in, in equipping, investing in one another, that we might speak the truth of the gospel to our hearts, wherever we're at, whatever's going on, that Jesus might be our affection, our power, our pattern, that we might grow up in Christ to the praise of your glory. And Lord, we long for the day when that growth will be complete, when our Lord returns and we will celebrate in his presence, finally and fully bearing the perfect image of Christ. Carry us in the meantime and keep us moving in your direction by the grace of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.